You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Some of us need that renewal. And God, through his word today, wants to give us that kind of renewal of faith. To take a fresh step of faith. And even though you don't know why you're going through what you're going through. You don't know why your family's going through what it's going through. You don't know why the perplexing situations. You can can come back to the truth by faith, by faith, by faith. That God's working all things out. For those who are called according to his purpose. God works all things out according to his purpose. In today's message from Pastor Danny, he teaches us that sometimes perplexing situations happen that we don't understand. However, God is sovereign in every detail of our lives. Sometimes we need a renewal of faith and to remember that he's in control. We don't always have to know all the answers as to why things are the way they are. Sometimes we need to pray and ask God for a renewal of faith and to trust in our Savior who has overcome the world. Now here's Pastor Danny with part two of today's edition of The Living Word from the book of Acts, chapter 8. Lo and behold, that Friday evening, I'm at Roost Drive-In. Guess who comes pulling up? Jody, with Debbie in the front seat. Jody gets out of the car, comes walking over to me, says, I hear you're going to kick my butt. Let's have it. We go around to the back parking lot of Roost Drive-In, and we had it out. It started like this. It ended up on the ground. Somehow, Jody got on top of me. He got a couple of really good punches in. One hit me right here. I had braces on at the time. Foolish thing to fight with braces. Although that night, I look back and I'm kind of thankful I had braces because I'm convinced if I didn't have braces, this tooth would be gone. The braces helped hold it in. It just pushed it back and and they had to try to fix it, but they couldn't totally fix it. And still today, if you felt my tooth, and I'm not going to let you feel my tooth, but this tooth right here is further back than this tooth. And every time I feel it, I think of Jody Jones. And the bad news that night at Roost Drive-In is Jody won the fight. You want to hear the good news? I got the girl. I lost the fight, but I got the girl. She felt sorry for me. Oh, where does it hurt? Well, it hurts right here. You know how many times that's the way it is in the Christian life? You lose the fight, perhaps, but you win the battle. Yeah, that's the Lord. Here's the way Paul put it. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. We look like we're lost. We've lost. No, in all these things, in the whole context of that scripture right there is all the negative things that people sometimes are called to suffer for the name of Christ. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. As a result of Stephen's death, as we covered not long ago, God would use Stephen, his life, his message, 
his countenance. They saw him as had the face of an angel. And then to hear it, what he cried out, Father, don't hold this sin against them. Don't hold this sin to their charge. And Saul would never forget that. Saul of Tarsus. And he's leading the charge in the persecution against the early church. As he's leading the charge, the Holy Spirit is goading him, goading him. And he shares in his testimony as he stands before Herod Agrippa. He says, the day he got saved, he said, the Lord said to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I'm convinced one of the greatest goads was Stephen. His life, his message, and the way he died. Stephen's response to his persecutors was a powerful witness. Stephen stood for truth when persecuted for his stand for truth. He did not retaliate, but he humbled himself and even prayed for his persecutors. That's a great challenge, though. That's a great challenge. Now, biblically, believe it or not, there are several advantages to persecution. And so while I want to see our country have a spiritual revival and move away from the direction we're headed, I want to see that, as I know all of us do. But if we continue moving the way we're moving, it'll be greater cost to the younger generation who want to live for Christ. But there are some positives, biblical advantages to persecution. Let me just throw one out real quick. I've already said it. Proper response to persecution is a witness to our persecutors. Persecution proves the genuineness of our faith. Peter says in 1 Peter, all these trials you're experiencing, these things that are trying your faith, your faith, even though it's more valuable than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, that your faith may be proved genuine. How's anybody going to know that we're the real deal unless we persevere through tough times? How are we going to know we're the real deal? How are we going to know? The world needs some believers who say like Habakkuk. Let me just read it. Habakkuk 3 verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my Savior. Because we have hope beyond this life. Persecution can be used by God to advance the gospel. Did you note, please note with me that this outreach in Acts chapter 8, this outreach, nobody volunteered to be scattered. Did you hear that? This outreach is not a result of a missions conference where they brought in some good speakers, had some good music, and then invited people that felt called to go to other lands and other geographical areas to spread the gospel. No, it didn't come about like that. It's not the result of the apostles getting together and brainstorming prayerfully. How do we begin to fulfill what's been called the Great Commission? How do we begin to, to get the gospel out of our world and into the world at large? Because Jesus said, go into the, God, go into the world, all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He said in Acts 1.8 to his disciples, you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. But it wasn't a brainstorm session on how to fulfill that. These guys are running for their lives. Now stop and think about that. Nobody expected persecution to be one of the primary means of spreading the gospel. This is where the Jewish temple was. Not just the temple, Herod's temple, magnificent. This is the church where nobody had any needs because everybody got their needs met. Nobody had any needs financially. Miracles are happening. It's the church of the apostles. You talk about good teaching. Three of these guys would become known as pillars in the church, Peter, James, and John. It's the city where Jesus will come back to where he ascended from. He's going to come and his feet are going to plant on the Mount of Olives. 
Many of them, it's their hometown. It's where mom and dad are and grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles, you know, it's where they raise the kids. And despite the persecution, they aren't willingly leaving. They're running for their lives. Even in our world today, despite the terrorist activity in the Middle East and especially in Israel, and despite people wanting to wipe them off the map, there are Jews from all over the world still today flocking back to the land of Israel and especially the city of Jerusalem. They want to be there despite the turmoil. That's the way it would have been here. And so in the sovereign plan of God, I thought of it like this. This church, there's no question, this church is on fire. This church is on fire. And here's Saul leading the charge in persecuting the church. And, and here's the church on fire. And every time he hits it, With persecution, sparks fly out, and a new work is planted somewhere else. Does hell really think it can win? Paul personally said, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, just a few verses. Verse 1. I urge them, first of all, the petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, chief justices, Supreme Court, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Here it is. Who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now, Go from 1 Timothy, just flip over easily to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. Paul says, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, catch this statement. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, those that would say yes to the gospel message that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. God's ultimate purpose for the world, this world of people, is that they might be saved. Therefore, God's ultimate purpose for us is that we might be a witness to a lost and dying world headed for hell. That's the ultimate purpose of God. Now, let me switch gears just a little. Evil is behind any persecution against God's people. Evil. There's evil and there's good. No in between. There's evil and there's good. Evil is behind any persecution against God's people. But have you noticed, if you studied the Bible at all or heard the Bible for for any length of time, if you know much at all about the stories of the Bible, you know what God does repeatedly? He turns evil into good. I didn't say he makes evil good. I said he turns evil into good. And he loves doing it. I think it's possible every time hell has a plot and a plan, I think the father might just get a grin on his face. You really really think that's going to work, huh? You really think you're going to win. God loves turning evil into good. He loves it. Here's the famous verse. Now I want you to say it with me. If you don't say it, I'm not sure what the usher will do to you. I'll leave that up to him. Say it with me. Come on now. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his 
purpose. And his ultimate purpose is that all men might be saved. But here's the painful part. What God will allow in a believer's life in order to accomplish his ultimate good purpose can be painful and can be, here's the word, perplexing. The great apostle Paul wrote these words. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down, not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. You know what that word perplexed means? Completely baffled. Very puzzled. Stop and think about the cross for a minute. Pilate said to Jesus, don't you know I have the power to crucify you or to set you free? You know what Jesus said? You would have no power over me if it were not given to you, granted to you by heaven. The story of Job, one of the most mysterious stories to me in some ways still. It was God that questioned Satan there in Job chapter one. Where have you been? I've been roaming throughout the earth. What's he doing? We know he's looking for someone to devour. Now he's not looking to devour unbelievers. He's already got them. He's looking to devour believers. And God said back to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless and upright. You know what Satan said in response? Job 1 verse 10. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? In other words, you could string it out and say, Satan is saying, of course I've considered Job. I've been wanting to get at Job for years. But you put a hedge around him. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, there's a hedge of protection around you and Satan cannot touch you. Some of you are thinking, he's going Pentecostal. No, I'm going biblical. That's just biblical. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. The angel of the Lord is Christ. Now, there are two ways Satan can get a believer. Two ways. One is, Ephesians says, don't give the devil a foothold. If you willingly give him a foothold, then, then that foolish decision, you give him in into your life. But if you don't give him that in, he can't touch you. Unless the second way takes place. Have you not put a hedge around him? Satan said to the Lord about Job. And in God's sovereignty, God allowed Satan. God breached the hedge. Then he breached it some more. And then he breached it some more. And he allowed Satan to rob, kill. Job lost all of his children in one day. And destroy. He allowed Satan. Unless God had breached the hedge, Satan would not have been able to touch Job. Just like he cannot touch me, and he cannot touch you if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But sometimes it's perplexing. It's completely baffling to me that God allows the hedge to be breached. And I sometimes don't understand it. I many times don't understand it. Go with me. Acts chapter 9. You want to see here the wisdom of our God. Verse 15 of Acts 9. The Lord said to Ananias, go, this man, Saul of Tarsus, who will become Paul the, the apostle, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. And the suffering was connected with the ministry that God had called him to. How's God going to get him before kings? Acts 23. Paul is before the Sanhedrin, an uproar breaks out. Verse 10, listen to what it says. The dispute became so violent that the commander, Roman commander, was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. 
He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. That's the first step in protecting Paul for the ministry God had called him to. Following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And then the next verses, there are these Jews that plot to kill Paul. They are so serious about it, they say, we're not going to eat until Paul's dead. Well, just by so coincidence, Paul's nephew overhears some of them talking about the plot. He goes to the Roman commander. He tells him about the plot to kill his uncle. The commander says, verse 22, he dismissed the young man with this warning. Don't tell anybody that you've reported this to me. Then verse 23, he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen, 470 trained Roman soldiers to go to Caesarea at nine tonight under cover of darkness, protected. Provide horses for Paul, horses. Not just one. Make sure he's got a fresh one when the one gets tired. That's like saying in this culture, in this day, give Paul a limo so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. And that was God's plan. In the wisdom of the Almighty, he allows Paul to suffer, even get arrested, even though he's done nothing wrong. And as an accused criminal, God opens doors and he stands before the likes of Governor Felix and he shares Jesus Christ and he stands before the likes of Herod Agrippa and he shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the whole palace comes to know the gospel of Jesus Christ from this one prisoner, Paul the Apostle. Oh, the wisdom of God. But there's a cost for us. There's a cost for us. It's interesting you get to Acts 28 at the end, and it closes this way. I just note this, verse 30. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house in Rome, welcomed all who came to see him, proclaimed the kingdom of God, taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance as a prisoner. I thought about the story of Joseph. 17 years old, imagine this. God gives you two dreams with the same meaning. The two dreams with the same meaning means it's confirmed. This is you can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. And it's about Joseph's future, and it's glorious. It's absolutely glorious. Not long after he had the dreams, his brothers who hated him sold him into slavery down in Egypt. He ends up being owned by a man named Potiphar. Potiphar's wife repeatedly tried to seduce Joseph, and Joseph repeatedly resisted that. And he stayed sexually pure. You know what he cost him for that? The wife tells her husband, that Hebrew slave, (laughs) he tried to make sport of me. In other words, he tried to rape me. Potiphar believes his wife and has Joseph thrown into prison. He's there for over two years. You talk about a perplexing situation in light of the dreams God's given him. But if you read the whole story, (laughs) called out of prison to interpret Dreams, prophetic dreams for Pharaoh, ruler of Egypt. The dreams God gave him have to do with seven years of famine that are coming. There's going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. Joseph stands before him and says, here's the dream you had and here's what it means. Here's my advice. Choose a wise person in your realm and put them over the affairs for these seven years of plenty. And Pharaoh says, well, I don't know anybody wiser than you. You're the guy. And he goes from prison to second in command in all of Egypt. And through his leadership, seven years, they store up grain. Then the famine hits. Famine gets so bad, Joseph's own brothers are sent by his father to Egypt to get grain. They come before their own brother, but they don't recognize him. 
He's been for years trained as an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. He dresses like an Egyptian. He walks like an Egyptian. It'll never get old. Then finally, he can't stand it anymore. He reveals himself to his brothers, and they are thinking we are dead. But he doesn't respond the way they expect. And here's what he says. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. That's some kind of perspective. God used Daniel's willingness to be thrown into a lion's den to give a great witness to the world that the God of Israel is the true God. God used the willingness of his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to be willing to throw into a fiery furnace to give great witness that the God of Israel is the true God. Even Paul's thorn in the flesh that he prayed three times, Lord, take it away from me. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Hosting a party. In his backyard, a millionaire announces to the crowd that he'll give anything he owns to the person who swims the length of the pool. One catch. He filled the pool with sharks. All of a sudden, everybody hears a big splash. Into the pool goes a man, swimming furiously. Fins are breaking the water line. Jaws are snapping. Just when it looks like he's fish food, he climbs out the other end. Millionaire says, I'm a man of my word. You're the bravest man I've ever met. What can I give you? Glaring into the crowd, the swimmer says, well, let's start with the name of the jerk that pushed me in. (laughs) A rabbi, Harold Kirshner, Kirshner wrote a book, became a bestseller years ago, sold more than half a million copies, was on the New York Times bestseller list for a whole year. The whole point of his book was to say that God is all loving, but not all powerful, that God is good, but he's not sovereign. So when bad things happen to good people, it's because events are out of God's control. Kirshner advises his readers to learn to love God and forgive him despite his limitations. He knows nothing of the God I serve and the God of this Bible. Because this God loves all men and he wants all men to be saved. And he will take his chosen ones, those he loves dearly, those he's going to take into glory with him one day. And he will allow them to go through very painful and perplexing times to accomplish his ultimate purpose. And sometimes when we're going through those things, we just don't understand what he's doing. We're perplexed, baffled. I could not help but in preparing this message going in my mind, and I've mentioned this before in other messages, but people in our fellowship that are going through some very, very perplexing situations. To me, Job is the ultimate mystery story. I know some of the answers in the story of Job, but I don't know them all. But if nothing else, what Job teaches us is that we are to continue to trust God even when we don't understand. And when hell is mysteriously allowed to rob, steal, kill, and destroy in our own lives, those who love the Lord. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. And some of us need that renewal. And God, through his word today, wants to give us that kind of renewal of faith, to take a fresh step of faith. And even though you don't know why you're going through what you're going through, you don't know why your family's going through what it's going through, you don't know why the perplexing situations, you can, you can come back to the truth by faith, by faith, by faith, that God's working all things out for those who are called according to his purpose.
The people we meet in the Book of Acts weren't superheroes. They weren't angels in disguise, nor were they born with more privilege and intelligence than the average human being. These were just ordinary people doing their jobs and doing the best they could, until Jesus changed everything. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection flipped the world upside down, changing the way God was seen and opening up the reality of salvation to every person. That salvation hasn't changed. We all still need Jesus to save us from death. And just like these ordinary members of the early church, we can let the grace we've received flip our world upside down. Now we can live for Christ, sharing him with the world around us and extending the Holy Spirit to everyone we meet. We're so glad you tuned in for today's message on the living word with Pastor Danny Hodges. This ministry is a product of the messages Pastor Danny teaches at Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. If you're in the area, come join us this weekend. We meet on Saturday at 6 p.m. and again on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Join us for a time of fellowship and Bible study, digging into God's Word as a collective group of imperfect believers. Find out more at our website, ccfstpete.church. That website again is ccfstpete.church. You can listen to past messages from Pastor Danny while you're there, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's all we have time for today. Tune in next time to study more from the Book of Acts right here on The Living Word. We'll be right back. 